Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Crossroad, with a message entitled, The Good Shepherd. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. John 10, verses 11 to 21, what's well, a very famous passage. It presents Jesus as the good shepherd. Well, that image often conjures up a kindly Jesus cuddling young lambs in his arms. But that's not the image we find in John 10. Rather, we have an image of leadership. It's an image of a man on a mission. He's fighting wolves and gathering together a large flock, and he unites them under his mission, and he inspires them. Finally, the demands of his mission are so great it costs the shepherd his life, and that's the image in today's passage. And so I want to talk about leadership. Well, you probably know there is no end of books on leadership. Many of them are about business leadership, and they often concentrate both on leaders and various enterprises, their approach to their task, and it often includes some very well-known and successful names. Well, these books often speak about establishing a culture of success and identifying achievable goals and creating customer loyalty and so forth. And I've noticed how often Christian books on leadership borrow heavily from those secular books. See, many Christians do believe that corporate giants do provide some patterns that they can emulate. But what makes for good leadership? Is it style or organization? Is it celebrity status? Is it the power to make a difference? Is it the ability to communicate vision and strategy? Is it talent? Is it simply the right circumstances coming together with an individual gift mix? I mean, what is it? That's the discussion. You know, at some level, everyone identifies with this discussion. Everyone leads in some enterprise in life. You know, if you own a farm or a business, well, you know that you must lead. And same is true if you have children. Many areas in your church where you might be entrusted with some key area of leadership. And so, wherever it's found, everyone should be interested in leadership. And for Christians, Jesus is our model of leadership. In the beginning of John 10, Jesus uses two allegories to explain his mission and his leadership. And the first is the allegory of a shepherd going into a communal sheepfold and calling his own sheep. And that's the image of Jesus entering into Judaism and starting his church. In the second allegory, Jesus speaks of caring for his sheep. And that's the allegory of establishing his church under his leadership. In other words, Jesus has defined his mission. And from our passage today, Jesus is going to give us a third allegory in which he says that he's come to build a worldwide church. So how does he do that? What kind of leadership principles does he use? Now, as we study our text, I'm going to identify four principles of Jesus' leadership style. And interestingly enough, Jesus does not use business or sports models to describe leadership. You know, Jesus is a shepherd leader. And it's the last of these three allegories in this chapter that he's going to show us exactly how he leads. Well, now, Let's consider his first principle of leadership. He lays down his life for his sheep. So I'm reading John 10, 11 to 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So I want you to remember it's an allegory. The characters all represent someone in real life during the time of Jesus. Now, if that's true, who is this hired hand? Well, let's remember that each one of the characters in Jesus' extended allegory represented someone. The thieves and robbers who crawl over the wall to harm the sheep, well, those are the Pharisees. The doorkeeper in one case was God and the sheepfold was Israel. There are many shepherds and flocks, and then there's the one flock that Jesus leads out, and that refers to his church. But who is this hired hand? Well, it's clear that he's a shepherd too, but he's of the kind that runs away when the trouble starts. I think we can find hints of who he is if if we pay attention to the entire book of John. So, for instance, back in John 7, when the Pharisees gave orders to the temple guards to arrest Jesus, well, they refused. And you remember who the temple guards were? Well, they were young, trained priests. And these men were listening to Jesus with orders to arrest him. And after hearing Jesus, they simply refused the order. They recognized that what Jesus was saying was true. And so they would not carry out the murderous designs of the Pharisees. And then we're told of Nicodemus, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin, who raised an objection over the treatment of Jesus. But he was silenced, much like the temple police. Now go ahead to John 12, 42 to 43, and that passage says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Hope you see that. There were authorities, there were priests and leaders of God's people who knew that Jesus was who he claimed to be but they kept quiet. That was a pattern. In fact, let me fast forward a few years later, and the incident here is recorded in Acts 6, verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So these priests, well, they're the same priests who listened to Jesus and who secretly believed in him, but they didn't speak up because they were afraid of the Pharisees who were represented by the wolf. And when the wolf attacked the sheep, well, they simply ran away. So I want you to look at John 10, verse 22, and that verse moves us forward to the Feast of Dedication. Now, the Feast of Dedication is what we now call Hanukkah. It's not a feast that you're going to find mentioned in the Old Testament. It was, in fact, developed between the time gap between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And to put it quite simply, Hanukkah is a celebration of a victorious fight for freedom. Israel was then ruled by the Syrians, who were led by an infamous man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a madman. He demanded that Israel adapt Greek culture. He sacrificed a pig in the holy place in the temple, and he erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple and condemned anyone to death who was found with a Hebrew scriptures. And eventually, God would raise up a man. His name was Judas Maccabeus, and he would lead a Jewish revolt against the Syrian overlords. And the Jews were victorious and in an incredibly bloody struggle against all odds. It's it's a remarkable story. And that's what the Jews remembered during the Feast of Dedication. But the Jews also remembered what life was like during that time. See, many of the Jewish young men and women 
openly adopted and adapted to Greek culture. Being Greek was hot for the new generation. And they were ready to throw off their Jewish roots and abandon the God of Israel and become thoroughly Greek. And during this time, many of the priests, and they were men who hated what was happening in Israel, and they knew better, but they simply hung their heads and did nothing. Why? Well, they were afraid for their lives. So when the Jews celebrated the Feast of Dedication in Jesus' time, they were always asking the question, where were the shepherds of Israel? In other words, why weren't the shepherds warning us of the danger and teaching us how to respond? Why didn't they risk their lives? And then in order to make the point of having bad shepherds, every feast of dedication, Israel would read Ezekiel 34 verses 2 to 5. Thus says the Lord God, our shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. In other words, the shepherds were caring for themselves and not for the sheep. And this is the key. Jesus is a different kind of shepherd. He was not only feeding and taking care of the sheep, he was taking on the wolves. And that's because Jesus knows you're a coward if all you do is feed the sheep. You have to fight wolves. And that was Jesus. See, when you read the Gospels, you find Jesus attacking the Pharisees with full vigor. He calls them whitewashed tombs, and he says they look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. He calls them hypocrites and liars and exposes them for laying their legalistic requirements on the people, and he never backs off. He knows that doing that will cost him his life. So what is Jesus' leadership style? Well, he lays down his life for the sheep, and why does he do that? Well, for one, he knows that in laying down his life for the sheep, in that same moment, he will expose evil for what it is. On the cross, Jesus fought evil, and it was a bloody struggle, but it saved the sheep. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirmed special friends and musicians Shane and Angela Weeb. I guarantee you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, and you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. The Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise is a unique opportunity for connection, and we'd love to see you join us. Come on your own or with family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it all out at backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425. The application to this stuff is not hard. You know, for pastors, in order to lead, well, they must not only preach the truth, they've also got to fight against error regardless of the cost. They must both feed the sheep 
and fight to defend the sheep. I know that to do so will expose one to criticism and there might even be a price to pay. But a hireling doesn't run away. Yeah, he might be fired or in the history of the church. He might even be put to death, but he stays on to fight. He lays down his life for the sheep. And the issues might be, you know, the perversion of doctrine or something else. But it is the duty of the shepherds to help the sheep so that the wolves won't tear them to pieces. So whoever you are, you have the same call in your life wherever you lead. I mean, take your kids for an example. Are you prepared to take a stance for Christ regardless of the cost in order to save your own kids? If you know what Christ's model of leadership is, that's it. He laid down his life for the sheep. We have to be like Jesus, and that's the first lesson that we learned from this parable. So what kind of a leader is Jesus? He lays down his life for his sheep. Now let's go on to the second point. Are you ready for that? He lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, those of you who are really observant will say, well, hey, wait a minute. Your second point is exactly like your first one. Well, that's true. Whereas the first point, we learned that the shepherd had to die in order to show us what evil truly was. Here we find out that there's a second reason for him dying. Why did he lay down his life? Well, Jesus laid down his life to show us what love was all about. See, Jesus is making a second point about being the shepherd. He knows his own. And what he means here is that he's entirely different from that of the hired hand. You know, to the hired hand, the sheep are a means of livelihood. They put in their hours and then they go home. When they're caring for their sheep, they do it in order to make a living. And in essence, the sheep are strangers to their own personal goals in life. They've never loved the sheep. In contrast, Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. What kind of knowledge is that? Is it intellectual knowledge of Jesus or experiential knowledge? Well, in order to answer that, you know, it's patterned after the kind of knowledge that the Son and the Father have with each other. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. There's an intimacy. There's a love and a commitment to glorify one another. Okay, what does that mean? Well, to put it simply, you have to think in eternal terms. How well do the Father and the Son know each other? Well, they have no secrets from one another, that's sure. They understand each other. They've been intimate in their communication with each other from eternity past, and it will extend to eternity future. Their intimacy is not a five-year plan. It's a relationship of love and of mission. And when Jesus says that he knows the sheep, he says he does know the sheep just as the Father and the Son know each other. And then he adds, I lay down my life for my sheep. I think he's saying here that we can never know Jesus until he lays down his life for us. Only his death on the cross can teach us about the true nature of his love. His love is sacrifice. It's obedience to the Father, it's suffering, it's tenderness, it's forgiveness, it's selflessness, it's servanthood, it's victory over Satan in hell, it's a demonstration of God's righteousness, it's caring, it's a revelation of God himself. That's the cross, and that's how we have come to know him. So let's review. You can't be a leader until you confront evil for the sake of those for whom you lead. 
And secondly, you can't be a leader until you learn to love those you lead with the love of Christ. And that's why elders and pastors, if you don't know your people intimately, and if you haven't demonstrated love for them and sacrifice for them, well, you haven't led as Jesus teaches us to lead. Leadership is not about calling the shots and making the proper decisions. It's laying down your life to protect and to love your people. Well, by now, you're probably getting a sneaking feeling about the third point of Christ as a shepherd leader. If the first two are about him laying down his life for a sheep, what else can the third description be then? Well, yeah, you guessed it. The third point is the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But, but here, he does it because it's a part of a mission that he has to reach the world. Look at verses 16 and 17. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, at this point, Jesus introduces us to his mission. He's had a mission to Israel to call out his elect. He now says he has a mission to the world to enter one sheepfold after another and call a people to himself. See, never miss this. Christ's mission to the church is summed up in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the triune God and making them into disciples. So make no mistake about this. The heart of Christ's mission is evangelism. He's calling people out of the cultures of this world, and he's adding them to his sheepfold but he's doing more. He's promising that there are not many flocks, but there's one flock, and that's so important. You know, it's just a few years ago now that there was a movement that was very popular. It was called the Church Growth Movement, and it had a central principle. And the Church Growth Movement, people said that in order to have a growing church, well, you must only reach one kind of people. That is, you've got to identify your target group, and you need to concentrate on only them. Notice how Jesus says exactly the opposite. And Paul agreed with Jesus when he wrote Ephesians 3, verse 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, what Christ has done is that he's taken two men, the Jewish man and the Gentile man, and he's united them and he's made them one. And that has huge implications. It means that the dividing wall of hostility between all people groups are broken down in Christ. You know, years ago, I knew a man. His name was Pierre Kamanzi. He was from Uganda. And he ministered in the wake of the Ugandan genocide. He would take a cross from village to village, and he would plant it in the ground, and he'd call people to come to the cross and acknowledge their crimes against God and against each other. And there they would find healing and reconciliation at the foot of the cross. And that's the message of the cross. That's why Christ laid down his life. You know, Christ will not allow for there to be two churches. There will only be one. Racism cannot live in Christ's presence. See, I hope you're getting a sense of shepherd leadership. Jesus lays down his life to expose evil. He lays down his life to show us what love is. And he lays down his life to engage us in his mission to make one new people in the cross. That's what Christ has done. Now look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, here now is the fourth principle of Christ's leadership. Yeah, he lays down his life, but this time he says he does it because he wants to honor the Father by being fully obedient to him. And there are three ways in which Jesus is different from any other shepherd. You know, first, if a shepherd would be killed while defending the sheep, well, after the death of the shepherd, well, the wolves would have freedom to do with the sheep whatever they wanted. But Jesus, by contrast, by dying for the sheep, actually saved the sheep from the wolves. And secondly, no shepherd would try to get killed by the wolves, but according to verse 18, this shepherd deliberately laid down his life. In other words, this shepherd knew that the only way to shepherd the sheep was to die for them. No other shepherd was capable of that. And that brings us back to verse 18. Jesus says, I laid my life down on my own accord. He means he freely lays it down. In other words, he's not forced to die. God himself did not force the son to make the sacrifice. Jesus willingly offered it to the father as a demonstration of his obedience to the will of God. Then Jesus says, I lay my life down on my own authority. The Greek word is the word exousia. It's a power that's been granted to him. It's like a policeman's badge. The badge gives a police officer authority to do things no one else can do. In the same way, Jesus has been given authority to do that which no one else can. He used his authority to do the will of the Father and agonized in the garden, sweat drops of blood, said, not my will but yours be done, and then lay down his head and died for the sheep. That's leadership, my friends. John, as an extension of what you said, uh, are we as leaders to put our lives on the line for those that follow? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> not every leader is going to be a martyr. However, every leader who leads like Christ leads not for their own benefit. I mean, they lead for the benefit of those whom they lead. I mean, that I think is distinct to Christian leadership. The laying down our lives is to say, I will deny myself so that the sheep will be fed. So uh, good leaders always act the way Jesus did. And so if it calls upon us to make the ultimate sacrifice, good leaders have already made that decision. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Crossroad, with a message called The Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Heidi wrote in to say, I discovered your program last summer, and since then, well, I've learned so much from the expository teaching of the Bible. Well, thanks, Heidi. You know, it's hearing the stories of friends like you that assures us that the Bible teaching program is making a difference. If you believe in the importance of sharing the Word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month, or consider becoming a monthly partner. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program is heard in your community and right across the country. Your gift of any amount allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. To send a one-time gift or to become a monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. 
That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.